Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host. In today's episode, I interview Tim Parham the head physiotherapist at the Adelaide Football Club. He has worked at a large range of leading sport teams such as Arsenal Football Club, Port Adelaide and the GWS Giants. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of keeping good records for your rehabilitation plans, the key to good communication in high-performance sport, how to develop buy-in, understanding the best case, worst case and a realistic case for each return to play. Before we start this episode, for our coaches listening to this podcast, I want to help you develop your own brand and online business. The best place to get started is to join our academy, where you get full access to our high-performance presentations and ad-free podcasts and exclusive rights to be able to join us live on the podcast and ask the guest questions. If you email me with a subject heading podcast, I'll throw in a free mentoring consultation session where we can discuss your coaching business and how I can help you share your business as well as any tips and tricks that have helped me along the way with creating prepare like a pro if you're interested in this just click the link in our instagram bio otherwise email us at jack at preparelikeapro.com let's get into today's episode thanks for jumping on tim not a problem no it's fantastic to um yeah to jump on and be part of it you know sort of watch from afar and and seen um some pretty good guests so you know pretty humble to be in, invited uh, thanks, mate. We're um, yeah, very lucky to have you on. We'll, we'll dive right at the beginning, mate. Take us back. At what age did you discover you had a passion for physiotherapy? Yeah, it, I suppose it's a pretty interesting sort of story, um, if you're that way inclined. I, I started studying sort of sports science, human movement, um, and absolutely loved that and always wanted to do that sort of through high school. And the whole idea about physiotherapy never really dawned on me. Um, I sort of always had visions of going into PE teaching and, and being pretty active in that space. Like I think most people that study sports science, PE was my, my favourite subject through you know, school and into year 12. Yep. And then on, on the back of that, um, I sort of graduated and a, a small way into teaching, I, I sort of realised that it actually probably wasn't for me. Um, it also coincided with a time where I had, was playing football, albeit amateur football, quite, quite badly. And um, yeah, copped a few injuries and, and got to actually build up a pretty good relationship um, with a, a physio um, guy by the name of Scott Smith in, in Adelaide, who's, who's pretty well regarded. Yeah, and, um, and he was sort of my treating, treating physio. Um, and I'd sort of got to him after probably a, a long line of, of physios and, and he probably opened my eyes up to the scope to be able to you know, delve more into the, the rehab space and, and actually you know, lean on some of my frustrations, which were, as, a, as an injured sort of amateur athlete, was, um, you know, I was frustrated with physio saying, no, you can't do this and no, you can't do that and you shouldn't be doing this. And, and this real sort of cotton wool approach to, to injury management, albeit, you know, at a very, very amateur level. Um, but I suppose Scotty opened my eyes to, yeah, what, what was perhaps possible and, and I'm sort of giving my age away a little bit now, but um, when I graduated sports science, there wasn't the master's courses um, available. So I, I went and did a bachelor 
um, a full bachelor of physio degree on the back of my sports science degree. And, and I did have a sort of um, an altered or a modified load, which was, which was awesome in a way because I could still work in that sort of strength and conditioning space um, while I was studying. So um, it meant that I could have a really strong sort of S&C lens on what I was learning in the, in the physio world. And, and then I suppose as, as I sort of graduated, that, yeah, it sort of solidified in my mind where I wanted to, to take it. Yeah. So yeah, there's a couple of things to unpack there. So you mentioned um, Scott. So what, what, what was his philosophy and how did it differ from um, those that were frustrating you, that cotton wool approach? What, what, what was Scott focusing on with your rehabilitation? How did it sort of differ? Yeah, I think first thing for me um, was just the interpersonal relationship I had with him. Fantastic practitioner, but, but a really good bloke. And he's a, he actually became a mentor of mine across or still is, we still chat. Um, but also he was able to sort of give me some, some home truths um, in a sense that you need to get stronger. You, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, but equal to that, it's like, hey, hold on, you know, just because I was rehabbing a, a, a groin injury um, initially and he, um, he was very much sort of saying, look, you know, just because you've got this groin injury, it doesn't mean that you can't be training the house down, you know, doing non-weight bearing conditioning, you know, gym work, you know, you can – it sort of just opened up a whole, um, I suppose, avenue to, towards that, that rehab. Focus on the things you can do and, and still attack them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of my frustrations with physios, and I don't want to, I don't want to bash physios, but a lot of physios will default to the safest option at a lot of the time. And, and I think, you know, in many instances, you're actually doing the athlete or the, the client a, a bit of a disservice. Um, yeah, and I think that's one of the things I really liked about Scotty was some pretty clear objectives and some, you know, some good, honest um, home truths, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's interesting. So you started in the sports science realm and you mentioned you were doing some strength and conditioning work um, while doing your bachelor's of physio. What, was, what did that look like? Was that in a globo gym? Was that a, a like, semi-professional sport? What type of experience was it? Yeah, look, anything and everything. Um, yeah, dabbled in a little bit of institute stuff here in Adelaide, um, it worked at a, a, a you know, public gym, which I think is, is great, personal training. Um, yeah, and then also probably, you know, most significantly, I was working for the SNFL um, here in South Australia with the, the sort of elite um, academy, um, mm-hmm. primarily the under-18 sort of pathways, um, and that gave me a, a great insight into that sort of semi-elite, um, you know, football environment. And... and- so it sounds like you you had a uh, a feeling to or a, a passion and motivation to work in elite sport. Was that the goal when you started sports science during the dishing and then with physio as well? The end goal was to work in high performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was pretty pretty clear in my mind. I uh, after finishing my physio degree, I you know I was really lucky again. I, I had a graduate training position at, at one of the sort of public hospitals and. And that was great in terms of cutting my teeth in the, you know, the, the true physio world. Um, but I knew sort of after 12 months, I wanted to get into, well, initially some private practice. And I actually ended up working for Scott um, in his practice here in Adelaide. Um, and through that, I got some good exposure, some real sink or swim moments um, with Sturt Football Club in the SNFL. Um, I did that for three years. Um, did looked after a netball team for a couple of years in the South Australian Netball Association. Um, some stuff with Tennis Australia, um, Australian lacrosse. Um, yeah, so it was a real, yeah, real dip, dip your toe in the water in terms of that, that 
that sort of um, semi-elite and elite sport. Yeah, yeah. And how did you how did you gather those opportunities when you had going from a someone that was studying and doing a bit of work here and there? How did you build it? Was it speaking to Scott and he would hook up with some networks, or was it emailing people? Was it yeah? What was your strategy? And I guess for physios and strength and conditioning coaches listening in that are trying to get some experience and maybe they've had a few setbacks, what would be a recommendation to try and yeah get the foot in the door? Yeah, look, I, I think I did sort of I, I wore multiple. I sort of did multiple roles, especially with the SNFL stuff, from game day runner to working in some game development stuff to um, yeah, working on with the rehab lads, um, doing some conditioning work and those sorts of things. But I, I think beyond that sort of idea of just getting stuck into what is whatever sort of thrown at you, I think probably going in with a mindset that I don't know everything. Um, I've got some ideas, but but just trying to pick up you know bits and pieces here and there, chat to people. Um, I was always pretty amazed at how forthcoming people were when you approached them um, directly, and be that via you know social media platforms or you know, text or something like that. Um, yeah, generally, it's more about just being proactive in that space and and trying to you know start that those conversations and and um, and get the ball rolling and. You know, we, we do work in a, a big industry, but it is a small industry at the same time. You know, it is pretty tight-knit and, you know, it's very rare that someone actually will shut a door on you, I found. So um, I really tried to lean in on that um, yeah. as a general sort of philosophy. Um, and then also I think the other thing was just building good relationships with people, like investing the time in, in some of the athletes. And I'm probably getting going down a you know, bit of a rabbit hole here, but I, I remember... You know, one of the guys that has become a really good mate of mine, the guy Jack Homps, who played at GWS and, and Port Adelaide and, and just finished up at um, the Gold Coast Suns. We worked together with the under-18 state team. We worked at Sturt Football Club. He lobs up to GWS. I follow him. I came down to Port. He was there. Um, and interestingly enough, now he's, um, he's at the Crows as a, as a development um, coach. So, you know, some of those things that you, you sort of, you know, it's easy to take for granted at the time, but just building on those those good relationships and 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 leaning on the the people sort of, you know, in the industry and and probably getting to know them, you know, more at a human level more than anything. I think yeah, it's been really important. Yeah, that's such great advice. There's heaps of gems there. So getting involved at, in any way that you can. So you know, it wouldn't be typical for um, a physio to be runner, game day runner, like. Um, but that's that goes to show your mindset of putting yourself in that position what were you trainer at that stage working up to physio role or you were the game day physio and runner like out of that uh, i think uh, my involvement with the snfl spanned about six years so i think i wore most hats at, at different points in time anywhere from um yeah sort of fitness coach um runner working with the rehab guys the you're working in the street. yeah yeah that makes sense yeah so um yeah to that end i think yeah, you know, I sort of did everything and it and anything, um, yeah. which was great. It was great grounding. So yeah, yeah, and and you mentioned building the networks and getting and not just from a networking point of view, but actually build developing the relationship. Um, and from a personal point of view, is that something that's come naturally to you, or is that something that a, a mentor has um, given you feedback on, and you've worked on that uh, skill set, like, or is it something that's just yeah more that you've always valued? That's a Tough question. I, like I think I've always intuitively valued it. Like I, you know, I'm a I'm a person that I love my mates and 
you know, I, I feel like I'm a good mate. Um, but, but equal to that, I, I just, you know, I, I think how lucky, you know, I've got friends that, that work jobs that, you know, they're dissatisfied with and, you know, they don't get a buzz out of the day-to-day. And so it's probably having some gratitude for the, you know, in those moments where you um, where it is a bit of a grind and, you know, just reflecting on sort of how lucky you are in, in certain instances. So um, that's probably been a big, big part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of sort of having feedback in, in that regard, not specifically, but it is something that gathers a bit of momentum in terms of, you know, that, that challenge of, of trying to get to know someone and trying to work out what makes them tick, especially at a, at a rehab sort of level. Um, I think, you know, if you invest your time and energy into that, then, you know, the rest sort of, it, you know, it's almost like follow the bouncing ball to some extent. And you mentioned Scott Smith. Are there some other people that have been uh, significant in your development early days? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, to some end, you'd like to think you pick up snippets from everyone, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and like I said earlier, like I don't know it all, and I don't definitely don't pretend I do. Um, so I think that's probably um, a big part of just absorbing as much information from as many practitioners and coaches as possible. Um, I mean, for me. The GWS was my first sort of foray into um, into full time sport. Um, so Mark Williams was a fantastic sort of sounding board for me. Obviously, an export Adelaide um, coach, um, just a, a brilliant person, um, challenging, um, ruthless at times, um, but a great carer. Um, and I, I really lean on some of the, the stuff that the Choco, um, yeah, I suppose taught me especially in those early years at, at GWS. Um, John Quinn, who was our high-performance manager at the Giants, was fantastic. Um, cha- again, very challenging. You know, he, he, high expectations, um, set a standard, um, had, you know, exceptional reputation within the industry, um, was someone that we absolutely, I definitely butted heads with at, at times and, and would laugh about it now, but, um, but drove really good standards. Um, and then I suppose that, you know, bigger picture, uh, you know, I really love my, my time at Port Adelaide. Um, I ended up at Port Adelaide through Darren Burgess um, and he probably solidified a lot of my sort of philosophical approaches to, to rehab and, and injury management and, and maybe taking more of a performance lens on, on managing players. Yeah. Um, and so he was, he's been a huge, a huge um, influence on me. Um, but then also, I, you know, I'd have to say that the staff I worked with at Port Adelaide were, were fantastic. It's, it was a really good high-performance medical team. Um, Mark Fisher, who's an Olympic team doctor, Damien Newbury, um, Tim O'Leary, who's had some NBA experience and been at the hel- helm for a long time, uh, Mike Heinen, um, Ian McEwen, Stuart Graham, like, you know, really good practitioners. And I, I suppose the, the beauty of my time there was the fact that we would jump into a room and, and literally bang heads and have pretty robust discussions and, and at times get a bit heated. Um, we'd walk out of the meeting and 10 minutes later, we're all, you know, laughing and joking about it. Um, and, you know, we all genuinely had the best intentions for the players. Um, and so that was a, a really rare sort of um, working environment for me. So, you know, that was a really influential sort of period for me in terms of just developing the craft and, and yeah, and, and being more critical of how and, and what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose that the trip to, to the UK, like there were so many great, great people, um, but some standouts for me is, you know, ahead of um, 
a head physiotherapist, a guy by the name of Chris Morgan, um, who's now the head of head physio at, at Liverpool, um, unbelievably well-credentialed um, physio, um, had been in the Premier League and still is um, for 15 years. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, but but has seen it all, warts and all, you know, level level-headed, um, but really good, solid skill set. Um, some, you know, really honed in on the sort of fundamentals. And, and for me, you know, as an outsider coming into the, the sport was great at being, you know, just a sounding board for different ideas. Um, so I owe a lot of, um, a lot of credit to, to Chris. Um, you know, we still chat a lot um, at a personal and professional level. Um, and then a, probably another couple of standouts for me was um, Tom Allen. Um, he's a fantastic sport. Well, he's a head of sports science at Arsenal. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant mind, but but would break down the complicated and make it simple, um, which I found super impressive. And and, he, and an S and C coach by the name of Sam Wilson, um, he and I worked together really well. He he ran a lot of our on pitch rehab. Um, yeah, he's a he's a licensed coach. Um, so in terms of the um, yeah the craft and the you know the the subtleties of of football or soccer. Um, he was brilliant in being able to educate and, and, and just hone, you know, hone in on some of the, you know, the attention to detail stuff, especially on the pitch. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, a massive influence. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, thanks, man. Thanks for sharing that. And there's an amazing, uh, that's, that's a pretty elite list that I've written down there, uh, of, of people that you've worked with, which is, um, testament to yourself that you've, um, yeah, worked in those places and being involved with those. But the, the challenging, challenging each other and the care seems to be something that, um, you know, the open and honest conversations is, is something that's popped up throughout um, and the importance of relationships. So if we, if we go into that, like the heated conversation, uh, how does that develop? How does a team get to that level of the ability that they can, yeah, butt heads, get heated, leave, and then leave it all out there because it's all about caring for the players and, and not get emotional and caught up in that? Is that through repetition and practice? Is it? Is it? Does it take? Um, do you believe all high performance teams can get to that point, or is it? Does it? Do you need a certain amount of pe- different types of personalities to, to to get there? Yeah, look, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's been a bit of a, a developing interest of mine is that sort of performance psychology and and you know what makes a, a high performing team. I think if you have the answer, you'd, you'd be very wealthy. Um, yeah. I, I think probably the Big thing for me is is having the, the personalities in the room that you know. However, you get to that point, uh, are willing to be you know to lay your work bare a little bit um, and sort of embrace that that transparency in a way. Um, and uh, some of the advice I give to sort of young physios, young coaches is is just you know it's hard, but but make yourself available, but also you know allow people to critique what you're doing. Um, and I think equal to that is if someone does critique what you're doing and how you're doing it, you know, make sure that they come with a solution as well. Mm-hmm. So I think often in high performance environments and especially in the, in the trenches, you know, when you're, you're mid-season, you've had a run of injuries, say, or a run of losses, um, it, it can become a pretty, um, you know, high pressure environment. Um, there's the volatility in, in elite sport, which is always, you know, you've always sort of got half a, half an eye over your shoulder as to what's going on um, job-wise, job security and that sort of stuff. But, I, you know, I, I think that's really um, important that in those key moments is that, you know, you, you kind of got each other's back and, 
and you are able to sort of open yourself up and, and be productive in, in that space, um, which, is, which is bloody hard. And it's, yeah, it's a challenge. And you've got to have that right mix of people. And, and there is something to be said for, for just the amount of time that you actually spend with each other. And, yep. and that, that was one thing that was abundantly clear at, at Port when I'd sort of I'd come down that, you know, you had a doctor and a physio that'd been there a long time and, and we're all very tight knit group socially as well. Um, but yeah, that, that yeah, I think that's part of it as well. Is just having that trust and and you know having that time in the trenches with each other is really important. And it's it's really hard to just you know accelerate or it, it often doesn't happen quickly. Um, but I think the other thing as well is you know as as tough as things can be, and you know we talk about you know the run of injuries or run of losses or whatever that is. You know trying to actually make it a fun environment. I think people, you know, this is <laughs> this is an industry, and I'm not sort of preaching to the converted i'm sure there's people listening there's a lot of ego there's a lot of um you know become a bit of a turf war at, at various points but you know ultimately we're, we're all in it because it's a high energy environment and, and we want to get something out of it you know and it, and it, it should be reciprocated you know you, you, you're in the environment because it is high energy but that should should give you energy as well and in, in your day-to-day yep yeah awesome mate. yeah thanks thanks for sharing that and um there's been a couple of um key i guess um trends amongst experienced practitioners in elite sport um and the importance of not just staying at one club and staying within one sport um and looking at your experience you've you've definitely you know done the done that you've worked in different sports and and across a, a varied um elite clubs was that deliberate and intentional early days like when you're at gws did you think i'm going to be here for 10 years or did you think i oh, I'm not going to get comfortable here. I'm going to move, and and when I get the opportunity to to jump, I'm I'm going to take it. And that was, you know, or was that just something that um, eventuated? You know, to come. Yeah, it's something that eventuated. I've never really had a, you know, you always have these sort of ambitions and and that sort of stuff. I, I loved my time at GWS, and you know, we even thinking back on it now, as as hard as some of those early years were in establishing a new club, you know, trekking out to Blacktown and stuff. You know, we had some great practitioners and some great people involved in the club at that in those early stages um you know Lockie Wilmot um you know stack of great coaches Nick Walsh who's now sort of high performance manager at St Kilda um so looking back on that sort of stuff like we never really or I I personally never really thought oh look I'm I'm here for a couple of years and I'm going to shoot home um it was just more more about opportunity and timing and uh, the decision to come home was was probably a Sorry, when I say home, coming back to Adelaide was was more of a decision around family and you know just being married and you know, eyeing off having a, a family and so forth and and then equal to that, I suppose Darren Burgess, um, you know, offered a role or, or pitched a role which was quite appealing and was you know sort of spoke a little bit to my, my core values and you know we we found that we're pretty early on we're, we're fairly philosophically aligned and. And the, I suppose the, the time at Port Adelaide was, was a great ride in a sense because you're going from GWS, which is very much a, a young club with a very young playing list and, you know, everything's new. And, you know, some of my fondest memories and strongest relationships I have are from those early GWS days because, you know, we're all sort of thrust together and um, not many of us were from Sydney. We're all from Adelaide, Melbourne, Perth, you know, Northern Territory. Um, you're sort of true football states. Um, yeah, again, some of those really great memories of 
stem from that. And it's only probably in the fullness of time you look back and you think, far out, that was that was awesome, you know, what we were doing, as, as brutal as it was at the time. Um, and then the shift to Port Adelaide, by contrast, was, you know, a very old club established, you know, very some core values that it has its roots within the community, um, great history in Adelaide, and then equal to that, in the, you know, impactful in the AFL. And, and it, at that point in time, it was on the rise. Um, it just that moved to Adelaide Oval, and I think they just missed out on a grand final by a kick. And there was a real energy and a buzz around um, the football club. And yeah, absolutely loved my time there. Um, and then I suppose that the opportunity to, to move to the UK was. <laughs> was one that probably started as a, a bit of a joke. Um, Darren got the role at Arsenal and I think I was probably one of, you know, quite a few people that sort of jokingly said, mate, I'll, I'll carry your bags for you. I'll, you know, whatever you need, I'm, I'm there. I'll, yeah. Um, and it wasn't sort of until sort of six months later that, you know, once Darren was on the ground and, and could see the lie of the land that, you know, role sort of presented itself. So, um, yeah, interviewed for a role there. And, and then ultimately it became one of those things I had it that, a young family at the time. I had a one-year-old and, and I was just like, to my wife, Marcella, I was like, we'd kick ourselves if we don't do it. You know, we'd just, we'd regret it. We can't, you know, there's, there's too many pros and not enough cons. And, um, not a bad and it all happened. With the one-year-old, no. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it was, in hindsight, it was, yeah, we had some, some tough moments, as you, as you know, with a young family yourself. But, um, yeah, like that, it was, it, it almost became a, a non-decision in a way because the opportunity was too good to, to pass up. Yeah. So, and, and, and as a family and as a, a person, you know, we learned so much about each other and ourselves and um, yeah, great experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you mentioned Darren Burgess and yourself had a, you worked out yet some of core values and philosophy. It, um, am I mistaken? You guys hadn't worked together until Port Adelaide? No, we'd, we'd never actually met each other. So, um, so how, no, how, no. How, how, was that through reputation through other players that have said things or other practitioners that have mentioned oh, things? I don't know exactly, um, but I think it was probably more along the line. Like I knew some of the, the, the staff at Port Adelaide, um, some of the physios that I'd worked with, you know, through those sort of SNFL circles and, and um, especially Sturt Football Club. So there was some connection there. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think also being from Adelaide, probably helped my cause a little bit. I'm not sort of naive to that fact. Um, so, yeah, and it was something that I think it started, you know, we did, were just having phone calls and talking about and around stuff and, yeah, it just sort of grew legs over, over a period of time and, yeah. Um, yep. and, what, and what was Arsenal like when you, when you started settling in and, and working in that? How different is it to football in terms of the medical performance side of things? Yeah, like unbelievably yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, very different. Um, I suppose the first thing for me, which I underestimated, um, was just the enormity of the club and the, the brand um, and the fabric of, of a big Premier League club. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not kind of until I was on the ground that I got a real appreciation for that. Um, so that was probably the first thing. What, 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 like, how, someone that hasn't felt that way. The fans, is it the stadium, the facilities? I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of things, but what, what, is, what are the things to try and get a visual of that feeling of <laughs> substance is going on there? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's hard to, you know, pinpoint exactly. But, yeah, I remember when I first got on the ground in, um, in London and, you know, I've been hit up by bloggers and, 
journalists and all this sort of stuff. And you know, I hadn't even set foot in the club. And um, yeah, and and then I suppose once you're physically on the ground there, you know, you look in the players' car park, and you know, I think most of the guys, the daily drive was a, a Range Rover or a G wagon, and then on special days you you see the Ferraris and Lamborghinis. So um, you know, though, there were sort of those sort of pinch yourself moments and. Yeah, you know there was there's time you, you rock up for for work and your your kit's being laid out for you and you head upstairs and have breakfast because the chefs cooked you know buffet breakfast and you have the same again at lunch and and then I suppose just the dynamic of the playing group was was something just completely unique. Um, I think in my first year at Arsenal, out of our squad of twenty five athletes, we had fourteen different nationalities. Yeah, wow. um, so coming from AFL, where yeah, you know, it's pretty homogenous, really. Like if if you or I walked into North Melbourne Footy Club or Hawthorne or Fremantle, there would be some similarities. Um, there'd be a lot of similarities, but and not too many differences. It'd be pretty same same. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose the thing in in football or, or soccer is is it's a fairly polarising sport. Um, you know, it's obviously a global sport, and and with that comes. Yeah, obviously different languages being spoken, but then also different philosophies around preparation, training, what the schedule looks like, what you eat, um, how you recover, how you rehab an injury. Um, so that that was a real um, yeah sort of pinch yourself moment, I suppose. Was like, well, this is yeah, this is big. Um, it, it, yeah, and then in terms of our sort of high performance medical staff, like it came at a period of time like of immense change for the, the club. And I'm not for, sure if you or your, your sort of listeners or viewers are Premier League um, followers, but yeah, Arsene Wenger you know, had been there 22 years. Um, and so yeah, it was a period of immense change and, um, for the club. And, and with that, you know, there came a lot of staff changes and I was one of seven new sort of performance slash medical staff coming in. Um, Australians were part of the team <laughs> well interestingly enough in our sort of high performance medical i think we had seven nationalities um yeah, yeah so that alone i mean we had yeah a portuguese physio a, a russian data scientist um yeah we had uh, an irish strength and conditioning coach an american conditioning coach um myself um, a japanese osteopath um so it was a real melting pot of ideas and and that so yeah, I did a presentation over in in the UK, and I think one of my opening slides was like we had a, a team building day where the players and everyone in the football department we went um, paintballing, and as a gesture from the club, as on our uniforms we had to wear our the flags of where we were from, and we had a photo at the end, and it, it's just amazing to see just how many different flags there were um, being represented within that sort of that, that football department. So, yeah, that was that was probably. Those sort of, yeah, I suppose, observations with ones like, "Wow, this is, um, yeah, this is yeah, this is a beast." That really does that. Yeah, it helps to have yeah you know, that understanding of context, and it does, definitely paints a picture that whole experience. I mean, from having bloggers uh, in view, mm. and then yeah, like you said, the um, the wealth around the club and and the level of detail and care going into presenting you. Know, your uniform and, and all that sort of thing. It's a, a unique experience and, and definitely a special one. Um, yeah. It's uh, amazing. Uh, and, and what about from as a performance squad? Uh, we were talking about meetings before and having that high-performance synergy yep. and being able to go toe-to-toe but also um, 
care, you know, and, and be on the same page. How did that, how did, were meetings done differently? Was it, how did you guys sort of build that synergy and spend time together? Yeah, look, I think, to be honest, yeah, only those early stages, um, because it was a period of, of immense change for the club as a whole, um, we had a new manager come in, um, Unai Emery, um, very well credentialed um, manager in his own right, unbelievably um, dedicated, intelligent um, operator, and his record speaks for himself. For, for himself, um, so understanding sort of the coaching staff was, you know, and their philosophies and their approach to um, to the day to day became a really important um, part of it. Again, you know, when you have a, a, such a, a prominent figure like Arsene, um you know, 22 years in, in the game, that leaves a massive sort of indelible sort of footprint on the club and, and, and being able to... With him? Is that why there was a lot of change? Or did they just leave because Arsene was gone? Yes. Yeah. yeah. A combination of things. Yeah. There's a, a bit of a mass turnover. I think at some level, the club probably saw that as an opportunity for a, for a bit of a uh, restructure. Um, yeah. And, and I suppose that continued a little bit within that sort of high-performance medical space. Um, you know, there was some some physios that have been there 14, 15 years, 20, 20 plus years as well. So um, that's obviously a challenge in a sort of high performance medical sense is, is coming in after, you know, pretty well established, you know, practitioners and coaches. Um, yeah. And, and then trying to forge, you know, your own way of doing things and, and understanding the guys around you and, and what everyone's about and, and what their one would looks like and, and how it all sort of works together. So that was some of the early, challenges that we face definitely yeah and you mentioned the rehab how there was different philosophy amongst practitioners um and and players so how did you go about building buy-in within your own cohort of staff and then and then players as well yeah uh, it's good it's a good question and something i you know i probably handed up like probably went in a bit gung-ho um i suppose one some good advice to me um was because I had come from outside of football um, or soccer, um, was to actually lean on on that. And again, as sort of mentioned earlier, that you know football was one of those sports where you know we had World Cup winners, Champions League winners in our squad, and um, yeah, they're very sort of str- yeah strong opinions on on how things should should run. Um, but also they have trophies to their name. You know, I think we had Petr Cech at one stage who had seventeen sort of trophies to his name and. Now that he's a big time player, so he, I think he spoke seven languages and and had some some strong ideas about you know this is how to rehab a hamstring, this is how to recover from a game, and this is the, what when we should be doing in training. When you sorry, was that when he was dealing with rehab, Hammy rehab, or when another player? Yeah, it, it was actually. Yeah, it was there. Yeah. Um, yeah, but equal to that, I mean, um, I remember one of my first sort of occasions we had. Um, a, a Spanish player who was a ex international, um, and he strained his hamstring. He was a 33 year old wing back, and it was his first ever soft tissue injury. Um, yeah, and I remember quite vividly. I went in to sort of chat to him and start to map out a bit of a rehab plan for him, um, because my role was as rehab coordinator was to try and bring all the pieces together and you know make sure there was some. You know, some units, some unity between strength and conditioning, sports science, um, physiotherapy, medical, and sort of oversee that process, um, and to some extent, sort of avoid that conveyor belt. That you know, I think a lot of 
teams and clubs get sucked into doing and, and ultimately sort of bringing everyone on the same page from, from day one of, of an injury. Mm. Um, and I remember chatting to, to this player and I said, look, how do you want to you know, manage this? Because one of my big things is, you know, it's no use designing the best rehab plan in the world if you haven't run it past the athlete themselves. So, yeah, generally one of my first ports of call is to go to the athlete and say, how, even though you've never done a soft tissue injury, how do you feel that this should be rehab? And with a straight face, his answer to me was, look, I'm flying out tomorrow. I'm going back to Pamplona. I'm going to have 14 days in the sun. Um, I'll get some, some red wine and some good food and then I'll be back and I'll, I'll train. <laughs> and, you know, this is a guy who, you know, had probably never set foot in the gym, um, was very anti-gym and, um, yeah, the whole concept of sort of strength and conditioning and, you know, hamstring rehab continuums all of a sudden, you know, flies out the window. So, um, yeah, and then interestingly, probably two weeks later, we had a, a guy sort of do a low-grade hamstring um, on a game day on a Saturday and he was Swiss and I don't want to generalise in terms of nationality, nationalities and those sorts of things but um, this was a Saturday afternoon he, he strained his hamstring and Saturday night about 10 o'clock he sent me a message and he said oh, I'll see you at the club tomorrow morning 7am we start working twice a day every day until I'm back I thought whoa 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 hold on <laughs> you know so that's sort of one extreme to the other but they're all sitting next to each other in the same dressing room so I suppose, yeah, so for me, it was a little bit of like, well, how do you, you know, how do you package up your rehab to, you know, get the maximum buy-in from the, the athlete and yeah. incredibly challenging at times, don't get, at times, don't get me wrong, but I suppose, again, coming from, from outside of football with no football pedigree and, you know, to be honest, the, the Aussies, we get laughed at a little bit in, in a football sense, but one thing we do, you know, stack up pretty well with is our physicality and our, you know, our, our Sports science, sports medicine practitioners across the world are pretty well regarded. So, um, interestingly, a lot of the players have come across Aussies in their clubs or you know, junior grades or you know in their travels, which um, probably you know I, I sort of piggybacked on the, the back of that a little bit. So yeah, that's awesome to hear that. Um, yeah, we're involved at that level. It's pretty impressive for, for you know a country of our size and the amount of you know, people we have and we're stacking up in, you know, that world, that yeah. world level, particularly uh, in EPL, it doesn't get much bigger. So, um, oh, that's amazing. What did you end up doing with the 33-year-old Spanish player? Did he end up going on his trip? <laughs> I think we broke it a bit of a deal. I think he went away for four days and then came back and, um, yeah, look, we went to, yeah, all sorts of measures to try and, you know, strategy to try and get him um, yeah, engaged in some some strength work and that sort of stuff, and and some of it was a little bit via stealth. You know, we do we take the kettlebells out and and leave them pitch side and and you know take a barbell out and um, you almost trick him into to doing some some eccentric strength load, um, albeit pitch side at, at various points. So it was just yeah, you know, find trying to find different ways to to skin the the cat, so to speak. Yeah, and that. Um, method of asking the player first as your first interaction into rehab. How, how did you how did you come up with with that? Is that something that you've done for a while as a mentor, or have you seen someone else do that and you've sort of taken it on? Or yeah, take us through that process. Yeah, I, I, it, to be brutally honest, um, I probably learned the hard way. <laughs> um, I think back to some of my early sort of GWS days, and you know, a couple of players there. I'm sure they don't mind me me saying that Phil Davis was a guy that. 
yeah, we 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 go back. We're great friends, and and um, but early days, you know, his I suppose questioning of me was, you haven't asked me once what I think about any of this. And Phil's a great operator. You're probably aware of some of his work, you know, podcasts and yeah, in the media and and that sort of stuff. He's an astute, intelligent guy, and you know, I was probably you know at the front end of my sort of career in a in a full time sense working in elite sport, and it's something I never really you know you're a bit headstrong and you've got a healthy ego and that sort of stuff and you know that was probably the you know the the wake-up call I needed from someone like that you know to say hey hold on like what are you on about like you haven't even once talked to me about what you've got planned like where do you think that sits with me you know so that that was a good wake-up call and um you know Phil and I we joke about some of those those early sort of robust discussions and and in a similar vein like you know Chad Corns was you know he had the Back end of his career at at, um, at GWS and, and would become really good friends, but there were there were moments there where similar sort of thing. He's like, look, you know, you'd not once sort of challenge me as to what I feel like I need, um, and so that, that that's just you know when it comes from the athlete, that, that's you know can't get any more sort of influential than that, really. Um, yeah, 100%. thank you, yeah. thank you for sharing that. That's um, that's great advice. That speaks to volumes on what you said before that you. You've learned from everyone that you've been, you know, that you've worked with, uh, and that goes to show that you, it's not just learning off people in your trade, but also the, the players that you work from. You can get um, a lot out of that, and, and um, yeah, thanks, mate. Really, really appreciate that. Hey guys, CJ here. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with Jack for the last two years, preparing for last year's NAB AFL Draft Combine, and then this year's NAB AFL Draft Combine. Um, he's been absolutely amazing helping me zone in on specific areas of what I wanted to work on, which is my endurance of the 2K time trial and um, the 20 meter sprint. Trying to crack that under three seconds has been a massive goal for me this year. And I feel like that the work that I put in with Jack, he's just helped me skyrocket um, for my personal goals, which has been absolutely amazing for me. But it's not only it's not only what he's done on field for me, it's what he's done off road for me. He's been able to help me be persistent with the lockdowns that we've had stay motivated, prepare for massive events, especially the combine this year, which was done over Strava, unfortunately, that we couldn't get out to the Holden Centre and compete um, against the other the other prospects. But also the massive one is just recovering. He's been able to give me massive, massive influences on how to recover properly. Obviously, fueling for your next sessions massively for me as well. And the advice that he's given me so far has just been second to none. It's been really appreciative what he's done. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Jack. I feel like we've become a bit of a, we've made a bit of a friendship, which is always, it makes it easier when you're training, when you've got basically a mate that's telling you what to do. It makes it a whole lot easier than a, than a random coach that you've never really met before. So I feel like Jack's just helped me, helped me prepare for the combine as, as, as best as I could. And yeah, I can't appreciate the stuff that he's done for me. And yeah, he's made me really tick some boxes in, in my own my own goods and hopefully recruiters and are happy with my improvement. And yeah, that's a massive shout out and thanks to Jack. What about from a, on that, on the player's point of view is you've worked with um, the top tier players in the AFL, but also world um, athletes in uh, English Premier League. Are there, are there a common mindset um, and way about the athletes that are high performers from a consistency point of view and that developing athletes can aspire to work towards? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I suppose one of the, the privileges that I've had in my experience is um, in rehab, you, you know, you, it's a, 
it's a tough time for, for athletes. You know, their, their identity in a certain sense is lost for that period. Um, and I think the guys that, uh, you know, this whole idea of, you know, re- resilience and robustness, you know, I think they, those sort of words get thrown around a bit too liberally at times. But, you know, I think, in all honesty, like the guys who, you know, one of the, the common themes that I've, I've seen across really good athletes is that ability just to, to deal with adversity. Um, and in that rehab space, I suppose that takes the form of, you know, often it's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. Um, it's never linear. Um, it's never exponential. Um, so I suppose the, the guys that have that ability to, to sort of cope, you know, mentally and physically um, with that, you know, that adversity and that, that sort of nonlinear rehab pathway, I think is really, really good. Um, and, then, and then I sort of, you know, some of the, the great athletes that I've worked with, um, I think there's a sense that they're very humble. Um, that, that's also, um, you know, a big, big part of their makeup. And, but ultimately, they, they're hard workers and they have work ethic and they'll front up and they'll grind and embrace the grind at, at various points. And, you know, I think you can sort of tiptoe around it a little bit, but, you know, the great athletes work the hardest, you know, more often than not. And, you know, off the top of my head, I, I point to someone like Travis Boak and, you know, unbelievable privilege to be able to sort of work alongside someone like Trav because, you know, he, you know, in a positive way, will, will question everything he's doing and, and be really fastidious about, his preparation, his, his training, his recovery, those sorts of things. But, but he's always looking for the next, you know, one percenter, two percenter, um, and has some confidence in the fact that he's done, you know, he, he's done the big rocks across his week, and you know, his preparation is is spot on, um, and that's where he gets his confidence from. And you know, seeing that sort of evolution of someone like like Trav, you know, I think that's, um, you know, that that's super impressive, and and that's probably a trait as well with a lot of the the best athletes I've worked with sort of share that ability to sort of keep reinventing and, and, and embrace new challenges, but yeah, and have that, that attention to detail. Yeah. That's a good point you make there. Like the, the big rocks and ticking those off from your confidence point of view, but then not getting complacent, like still focusing on getting better. You know, it's not like he's yep. sort of just on maintenance mode. He's still working on those one percenters all the time while not throwing the baby out of the bathwater and always just changing stuff all the time. It's, it's a tough balance to get, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and is that something that he showed, like from from early early stage, and and has always had that, or is he directly developed that? I, I reckon it's. I, I think, yeah. Again, I'm probably not talking out of school when it comes to to someone like Trev, but I think it's it's the mindset that has evolved over over time. And you know, I think he'd be one of the first people to admit that you know if he had his time again, he would do things differently. But but it's that ability to recognise, you know key moments um, and key opportunities for change, which I think, you know, sets him apart from, from you know, a lot of, a lot of others. Yeah. And um, what about yourself personally? What has been one of your biggest challenges that you've faced and, and um, what did you learn from it? Um, I think, <laughs> I, I think, you know, honestly, probably the move to the UK was, was a big one with a young family and wife and the unknown. Um, going into a fairly, what is a traditionally fairly volatile sort of industry. And again, coming from outside of um, the sport, um, I think it's probably the hardest but best thing I've ever done in a professional sense. Um, yeah, a lot of sort of sink or swim moments and, um, 
yeah, I think that's probably been one of the yeah, greatest, I suppose, challenges, um, but equally one of the most rewarding as well. And was it, was it like you mentioned, how you constantly, in elite sport, the cha- one of the challenges is managing looking over your shoulder for job security. Was that twofold when you're in another country in the English Premier League or is it similar to AFL? Um, no, look, there is, a, there is an element of um, sort of job protection mode and, and looking over your shoulder and the volatility of the industry. Um, I think some of that points a little bit to the structure, the way things are. You know, it's a private ownership structure. Um, coaches come and go. I, I think someone's, I think it was probably Chris Morgan um, said to me in early days, he said, look, this is a bit of a circus. And you know, just remember, a manager's only four to six bad weeks away from getting the sack. So you sort of go in a little bit with eyes open, but it's not until you're on the ground that you sort of, you realise that. And, you know, I think one of the great things in Australian sport in a way is, um, you know, especially my experience in AFL is, is we really do embrace some of that, you know, those robust sort of discussions and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I, I think there was a, you know, I think people at, when I was involved with football were probably a little bit more guarded and there was a little bit of, um, you know, a period where everyone was just trying to suss each other out. We'd all sort of been to a certain extent thrown together, um, you know, within a short space of time again, in a period of sort of immense change. So, um, yeah, it is, there's probably more at risk as well. You know, you're, you're halfway across the world. You don't, don't really have a network. You don't really have a safety net either. Um, so, yeah, so in, in that sense, it, it was, um, there were some elements of, yeah, this is, um, yeah, we're on a knife's edge here. So, but I suppose that to some end made the, the highs really high as well. So, yeah. And then when you came back to Australia, did you feel that um, that period over in the UK was um, a time where you'd uh, really ingrained your philosophy or, or is your philosophy something that you, you're constantly sort of um, tweaking um, as, you, as your career progresses when it comes to... Yeah, I, yeah look, I'd like to think it's continually evolving. There's certainly been stuff I've brought back. Um, I think the first thing, I, you know... <sighs> I probably don't take myself as, as seriously as I, I used to. I sort of understand what my, what my one would is and, you know, I'm never going to be a, a brilliant clinician. I'm never going to be a brilliant diagnostic, you know, clinician or, you know, manual therapist per se. Um, I know where my strengths lie and, um, you know, I probably feel more comfortable with, in that skill set, but then equal to that, I'm, I'm probably less um, resistant to embracing new ideas. Um, and, and one of the things that I've sort of noticed coming back into AFL is, is its greatest strength is almost its greatest weakness. You know, it's a pretty homogenous environment in many respects. Um, and um, being able to sort of draw on some of those experiences, which, you know, initially I probably would have frowned at or probably didn't embrace um, completely, I've sort of found myself leaning on a little bit now back in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is it, um, like working in, with those athletes that have come from different backgrounds and um, presented with different cases, do you, do you feel that, that you, know, you learn different ways of doing a hamstring rehab um, by seeing different methodologies and, and speaking to all these different types of people or did it more just ingrain that your um, methods were something that you want to stick to and, and it's more about actually just getting people to adhere to the, to the philosophy or the methods, if that makes sense? Yeah, probably sitting on the fence a little bit. But I think one of the big things that I have done well 
is, and I think, you know, a lot of young sort of strength and conditioning coaches and you know, young physios um, or anyone really working in the space, you, you almost have this urgency to do more and more and more. Um, and, and what I suppose the, the football experience taught me was that you can actually do a lot with not much. Um, for instance, you know, if you've got a player that, that doesn't want to engage in the gym, then you've got to find a different way to sort of skin the cat, so to speak. So um, I've, I've found that I haven't, I suppose, had the temptation to throw a million things at players and probably, you know, it's solidified, you know, what the big rocks are and, and, and what I would like to lean on um, in a player's rehab and, and in their sort of strength and conditioning program. So um, that's probably the big thing. So it's that sense of sort of decluttering and, and having a better understanding of, of what you sort of, yeah, your sort of key foundation or your key, your big rocks are um, in a rehab. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and often, yeah, like I said, you know, a lot of young coaches in my experience, and I've, I've absolutely put my hand up and say I've been there, is like you want to throw everything at, at the athlete and you just, you know, you almost get seduced with the opportunity to almost show off a little bit. Um, yep. I suppose in time you realise that, you know, there is a lot of clutter in doing that and, yeah, and sometimes just the simplicity is, you know, it's very cliche, but, you know, simplicity is best. Yep, yep. And, and what about yourself? Like what is one of your favourite ways to self-develop your, your own knowledge? Um, do, you, do you focus on if, you, if you're taking a player through a hamstring rehabilitation, is, you know, um, is that an area that you do more research on because that's, it's specific to your role in that position? Or like you mentioned, how high-performance culture is something you're interested in at the moment. So we read a book on that. Like, is it quite specific, or is it more just general in how you upskill yourself over, over your career? Yeah, um, I suppose I've never really been strategic about it. But, but you know, probably like yourself, you know, like your offerings with social media podcasts, um, yeah, Twitter, even um, that sort of thing. But probably the big thing is 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 actually engaging with with people. And you know, I think I touched on it earlier that generally speaking, most people are pretty willing to to pick up the phone or reply to an email, um, especially in AFL circles, you know, we've, we've got a great cohort, as you know, of strength and conditioning coaches and, and, and physios that, you know, it's a, you're only a phone call away. Um, and so that's been, you know, something that I've always tried to, to lean on a little bit. And, and I suppose it goes back to, you know, what I said earlier about not knowing everything and, and actually sort of fronting up with, without all the answers, I think, you know, it's actually, you know, pretty positive thing in terms of being able to, you know, engage with others and other professionals. Um, in terms of like, you know, what, you know, look at, you know, I have had a, a more recent interest in that sort of, you know, what makes a, a high-performing team tick, um, be it, you know, at a coaching level, at a playing level, at a, at a high-performance medical level. Um, and that's a you know, strong area of interest for me. Um, but yeah, look, I would, yeah, consume all sorts of podcasts and yeah, uh, and the like books, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, not any one thing and, and nothing. Yeah, yeah, there's no strategy surrounding it, I suppose. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So there's sort of it, there's a um, you'll you'll lean on people that are for, for have like almost have experience and knowledge in that area, and then um, you know using podcast research to. to to, to read and upskill yourself that way and then that way you're going in informed, I guess, for those conversations. And it sounds like it's um, areas that are relevant to, 
to what you're currently doing or what you're currently interested in. Um, yeah. But it doesn't need to be a set structure, so to speak. It's more, to, more in flow. Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and um, what about journaling and, and noting things down? Is there, do, you, do you keep it informal um, or do you, are you someone that likes to note things down and have a, a document, so to sort of process with it all? Yeah, look, I've never sort of gone down the, the, the journal or the um, sort of self-reflection path per se. And, you know, I actually listened to a podcast, a high-performance podcast with Dan Carter, and he was talking about, you know, the, the importance of his, his day-to-day journal and, and mapping out his day. Yeah. Um, but then that said, I suppose one of the things that I have, you know, you know, it's been a big part of my practice has been keeping good records. Um, you know, being fairly sort of diligent with the, the planning um, and, yeah, keeping good records to, re- to reflect on um, because ultimately no two sort of rehabs are, are ever the same and nor should they be. And, you know, we work in a time-poor, um, you know, I suppose, cutthroat industry. And, and if you've ever had a perfect rehab, then the chances are you're probably taken too long to get the player there. So, so a lot of that, you know, is that reflection on some of your learnings, you know, because every rehab is different. Um, and so keeping good notes and, and documenting what you do, how you do it, what went well, where you stuffed up, those sort of things I think are really important. Um, yeah, and even, even this week, I, you know, I pulled out a rehab plan of a, of a player in 2011 that I worked on with GWS with a, a similar sort of injury. Just to uh, have a look at, you know, what were some of the processes and, and sort of course of action that was taken then. But equal to that, it's like just have a look at that evolution of, of how things have changed in, in 10 years and how I've changed my practice. So Yeah. And in that reporting, uh, keeping your records process, so you've got like the qualitative data, I imagine, and then what sort of quantitative stuff are you noting? Are you noting things like how the athlete is presenting from a mood point of view or is it more screening information and, and sort of your subjective view on things? What do you think is important for practitioners to know um, during yeah. the rehab process? Yeah, look, I think, you know, there's high scrutiny in AFL especially. So, you know, your objective data is pretty easy to, to come by. Um, you know, it's abundant. It's, um, there's lots of it. I probably lean more towards the sub- subjective stuff, you know, those discussions you have with the athlete, with other practitioners, those sorts of things. Um, just that mud mapping of ideas I think is really important. Um, and yeah, that's the stuff I lean on probably more so. So, you know, a player does a running session. I always sort of write, you know, it might just be a one or two lines at the end of their session. It's just like horrible day, you know, felt rubbish, (laughs) you know, knee felt crap, um, moody, didn't sleep well, or conversely, yeah, smashed it out of the park. You know, let's progress next session, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that's probably where you get your, your bigger sort of nuggets. Um, yeah is yeah just one or two lines just some some you know because it's a moving moving feast so to speak and and i tend to lean on on that a little bit even just some of those incidental you know uh, cues that you pick up in in discussions with athletes you know uh, an example being you know player might have a young family not sleeping well and i I know you've been there i've been there yeah um and and so uh, you know just those little things that are going to impact on the you know, the day-to-day and how things will take shape, um, I think it is really important. 
And you can marry that up with as, as much objective data as, as you like, but, but ultimately if you don't have that, that core understanding of, of where the athlete is at, then um, yeah, you're, you're probably not going to make you know, as efficient inroads in their rehab sort of process. So that's my big thing is, is just you know, little snippets of subjective stuff ongoing. So. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing. That's great because anyone at any level can start practicing that, um, which is um, an awesome takeaway for practitioners listening in. And you, you'll, it sounds like you also use that retrospectively with years in the future. Um, what about like on a weekly point of view when you, you said you're diligent with your planning? Do you, because you've written that down, do you feel like you just sort of memorize that by writing anyway, like in the short period of time? Or do you look back on the when you're on a Sunday maybe and look back at the week, one to two sentences just to get that context before you do your, your block, your next training block. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always a reflective process. Um, and then I'm also, I talk about planning, but I'm also never so rigid in the plan. Um, and that's probably one thing that has developed over the years is, is just that willingness to be able to change tack a little bit and even on the fly. Um, I think one of the key things is if you've got the, you know, the, the sort of cornerstones or the, you know, the, the fundamentals of your session sort of locked away and you've got a really good understanding of that, you know, that's the, the sort of science bit. And then, you know, it's how you deliver and how you sort of modify according to how the athlete's feeling or, or so forth, which is really the art or the craft of it. Um, so I always like to feel like, you know, I've got a good grasp of, of what the program looks like. Um, but then I'm never so stubborn that I won't change because it's written down, if that makes sense. And I absolutely used to, you know, I suppose in my early days, used to almost get stressed by the fact that, you know, we, we weren't following things strictly, um, you know, equal to that, you know, GPS um, numbers and those sorts of things. It's like, um, you know, I think you've got to have a, you know, a sense of, you know, this is a, a moving feast and, you know, as long as you're getting your, your big ticket items across your rehab session, you still need to have some, some flexibility in that. So um, that's probably how it impacts mostly on, on planning, definitely. Yeah. Lu- Lucas, one of the um, – Lucas O'Days, who's joining in live, has written in a couple of questions for you. Timmy's first one would be is, do you ever lie to a player regarding the injury to change their mentality about it? <laughs> oh, that, that's, a, that's a great question. It's a, probably a loaded question um i, I think some of your message your messaging is really important um well um i don't think you ever actively lie but you might paint a slightly um, more favorable version of the truth um yeah and I, I suppose at the end of the day like if your intention is good and you're genuinely doing trying to do the best thing for the athlete um look it may be you're sort of hosing down some anxieties or um you know some some um some fear avoidance behaviors or, you know, even just a, a player's mindset. Um, if you're trying to just nudge that, then, you know, I think you can craft versions of the truth. Um, but I don't think you, you would ever blatantly lie, lie to the athlete. Um, and again, if your intent is to, to do the best by them, then I think that's, that's probably, that's probably a reasonable place for it. But yeah, great, great question. Yeah, he's, he's written another question. Uh, how often do players stick to the recovery plan hundred percent? It may be re- potentially rehab plan 100%, um, I imagine. Yeah, how often do players stick to the re- rehabilitation plan? Um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one to answer. I suppose the main thing is it's never set in 
stone. Um, I think whenever you map out a, a rehab plan, you always have a sort of asterisk as to your best case, worst case, and most realistic case scenario. Um, and as I touched on earlier, there's no such thing as, as a perfect rehab by any stretch. But equal to that, you can have rehabs that you know, exceed your expectations. And, and that's where you sort of need to lean on your sort of clinical experience and the experience of the, you know, the, the high performance practitioners around you to, you know, to bounce ideas. And it's like, you know, can we, can we push this? Um, so it, probably in terms of putting a number to it, you'd hope that you get most of them around the ballpark. But, but obviously, you know, things happen and, you know, guys progress or they even regress at, at, at certain points. Um, I think one of the, the things that a lot of people lose sight of is, you know, and you know it being in and around the industry is that it is the pointy end of the industry. So there is an expectation to, to push the envelope at, at certain yeah. points and, and it's not a risk-free environment either. And, and I think that's where your sort of communication with the athlete comes in and, and laying out your, your pros and cons and, and, and making sure the athlete has a good understanding and the coaching staff and the other sort of high-performance staff have a good understanding of, you know, what are the risks and, and what are ultimately the rewards if you, you go down a certain path. So, I mean, very rarely do you get it sort of spot on to the day. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Yep. But we'll move to the more personal side, lighter side of the uh, podcast, mate. Um, movie or TV series has impacted you the most and why? That's a good question. Um, look, it's probably a big cliche. You know, one of my favourite TV shows is The Sopranos. So, um, I don't know. It's probably more like the dynamic of how that all works. Um, yeah, that's yep. probably one thing. Yeah. And then, uh, favourite inspirational quote or life motto? <laughs> um, probably one of the things that over the journey I've driven people mad with, and athletes primarily, is my quotes. Um, Kevin Sheedy had one which I use and I've even got on the little placard on my desk at, at, at the Adelaide footy club, which is the system is the solution. Um, and yeah, I cop a lot of, yeah, cop a lot of shit for that. And that probably points a little bit to my sort of need to have a system in place. Um, so that's probably, probably one, um, yeah, good is the enemy of great. That's probably another, um, yeah, 80% of success is showing up. Don't know who said that, but yeah, I've heard that sort of slapped around, and and then probably in a rehab sense, one that I've I've trotted out on more than one occasion is you know journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Um, it's a bit corny to say it out loud, but yeah, I mean that's that's rehab. You know, you got to start yeah. somewhere, and yeah, that's the journey. Yeah, awesome, love those ones. Uh, what about uh, in your work life? What are your pet peeves? What makes you uh, angry? Um, look, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is. Um, like you know, I'm not saying this because I, you know, it's an issue at, at any point. But one of the things I, I struggle with is is people who aren't willing to engage with each other in that sort of high performance medical space. Um, you know, they're not willing to embrace the transparency aspect of the the business. Um, so that's something that kind of annoys me. I, I I really I don't like turf wars. I don't like, you know, this sort of people working in silos. That, that frustrates me at a, at a professional level. Um, and then communication, I think, is, is pretty, again, it's so cliche, but it, it's pretty important. And, and people who don't or refuse to communicate um, sort of drive me a bit mad at, at various points. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned um, knowing your one wood and your strengths. Is, is that um, your strength, is the ability to build a team and work collaboratively, collaboratively with different practitioners? 
Um, I've never actually thought about it as being a strength, but I think, yeah, getting the right people in the room and, and having the right conversations, I think, is a, is a strength of mine. And um, again, sort of honing in on that, you know, developing relationships side of things, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably something I could sort of hang my hat on a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And then what, what's your favourite way to spend your day off? Um, I've got a young family, so I've got a, a two-year-old and a, and a five-year-old, two girls, and um, they keep me, me busy enough. Um, yeah, so it's, it's probably more geared around family time. I've enjoyed a really nice off-season this year, getting my weekends back and, and so forth. And you know, just through October, we've had a couple of birthdays. And yeah, so I suppose, yeah, some family time. And then, look, I'm probably like most other guys, you know, I like, like to hit the gym or if I can get out on a, a road bike and, and, and knock a few Ks over. But, you know, as you know, with a young family, that's sometimes yeah, easier said than done. Yep, yep. And uh, in a COVID-free world, fa- favourite holiday destination? Well, it's interesting you touch on COVID. I mean, yeah, we loved London. <laughs> um, I thought it was a fantastic city. Um, yeah, brilliant place. You know, it seemed to be the hub of Europe for us. Um, so I'd probably a little bit biased and I'd say, um, say London, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, we'll start to wrap it up, mate. You're now um, yeah, head physio at Adelaide. You're back team. It's the A team with Burjo. Um, what, what's in the uh, pipeline for, for two, 2022 and, and uh, what's the rest of the year look like for you? Yeah, look, Touchwood, it's not a COVID-interrupted year. I think a lot of people and across the industry and, you know, at, at every level, be it sort of community, just, you know, semi-professional to elite, um, have taken a bit of a, a hit. Um, in various ways. Um, so that's probably the first thing is that it is a COVID-free year and uninterrupted. Um, that's, that's my first wish. Um, I suppose at a, at a club level, we're, we're a young squad. I think we'll go into the season being the youngest list again, um, having had a few older players um, leave at the end of last year. Um, so that's going to present some challenges. Um, there's certainly some good optimism and, and some good buzz about the place and having finished the year off strongly um and then i suppose yeah <laughs> having burjo sort of at the club will, will be really positive i think in terms of you know just driving some some cultural change and, and pushing the envelope and and really putting a high performance lens on on the total program um yeah which not to say it wasn't there but you know just having a point of point of difference and another voice and yeah i think it's it's going to be an exciting year um but equal to that it it's going to have its its challenges because it's you know, it's a cutthroat industry, as you know. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for for sharing, mate, your journey and your story. Um, you've lived a full life, and uh, there's plenty more exciting things to come. Yeah, but uh, thanks so much for yeah sharing your time and energy tonight, mate. And and um, yeah, really, I took a lot out of it, and I know the listeners of this podcast have as well. So thank you, thanks for jumping on. No problems. Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, it's really good. Great to chat. Awesome. Thank you for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit the notification button on your Spotify to get a notification when we have a new episode. And our next live chat is with Cameron Falloon, the founder and joint CEO of BodyFit Training uh, on Thursday at 8.30pm. So I'll see you guys then. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, 
head sports dietitian at the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, sure yeah, game game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that i've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member rama davies the friendly conditioning coach at the box hill box Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know it might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm -hmm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and, yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro 
or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.